It's time now for Money Matters with the Lewis family, Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Owners of Lewis Financial Management, a Raleigh-based family-owned financial planning firm providing investment and financial planning advice since 1983. Doug and Deborah are certified financial planners, CFPs, who can answer any of your questions about investments, retirement planning, and estate planning. Now, here's Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Investments offered through SFA, Inc., investment advice through Lewis Financial management, SFA Inc. and Lewis Financial Management are not related entities. Hello, North Carolina. This is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner, once again welcoming you to Money Matters with the Lewises, Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Money Matters has been providing you with a personal financial hotline for all your questions about investments, estate planning, tax planning, money management, and retirement planning for over 30 years. Well, good evening, North Carolina, and thanks for joining us once again on Money Matters with the Lewis family. This is Linda Lewis. And this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And this is Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. Let's take a caller now. Jean, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you? Yes. Uh, hi, I have a question for you. All right. Um, I work for a company that does not have a retirement plan. So I'm limited to making a contribution to an IRA. Is there an alternative? How old are you? Oh, I'm about 54. 54 years old, married or single? Married. Married. Income? Oh, combined or individual? Individual. Uh, oh, I don't know, 40. You're making around 40000 Yeah. And what's your husband making? Oh, probably about the same. All right. Husband making about 40. Wife making about 40. Age of the husband? couple of years older. All right, about 56. Right. Ne- neither of them, cl- well, one of you real close to the 59 mark. All right, now, uh, any children, no children living at home? No, no. other dependents? No. Okay. Uh, what kind of investment portfolio do you have right now, not retirement? Um, well, we have a couple of mutual funds. How much do you have in mutual funds? Uh, you know, I don't really, probably 20-some thousand is all right now. About 20-some thousand in mutual funds. Uh, anything else in the way of personal investments? Um, some shares of stock, probably worth, I don't know, maybe 25000 About 25000 in individual stocks, 20000 in mutual funds. Anything else? Oh, some savings, but I don't really know what that amount is at the moment. Probably, um, uh, I don't know, I'd say oh, maybe 30000 something like that. All right. In CDs and so forth. Okay. And uh, is that about it? That's it, except for the IRA. All right, now let's go to the retirement portfolio. What do the IRAs look like? How much? Uh, yeah, how much is in uh, in in the IRAs? Oh, probably let's see, seven eighty thousand, maybe seventy or eighty thousand. Okay, well that's pretty good because that's two- not bad, really considering. Not at two thousand a year. That's that, that's real good. You must have been well, diligent. Some of that though came out of a retirement plan that I was in. Okay, you did at a rollover. When I did a rollover. Okay, all right. So let me see. What we've got here. We've got uh, maybe seventy, eighty, ninety, a hundred and twenty, hundred and thirty, hundred and forty-five. Okay, uh, I can see why you're concerned because you don't have a real big pot of money at no, the end of the ra- rainbow. I do not. Right. Uh, but with $80,000 of combined income, I guess your expenses are low enough with kids gone to where you could sock away a fair amount if you could find a way to do it. Is that is that I the story? I guess that's where I'm coming from, yes. About how much, all right, now let's see if we can quantify about how much are your expenses or how much could you afford to put away? Oh, I could afford to put away probably uh, maybe even $1,000 a month. If you're making 80000 I would think that you ought to almost be able to live the two of y'all on just one salary. Oh, we could. Well, then that's forty left. That's good. So that's about three thousand a month. Right. We actually could, I suppose. All right. Okay. Now, and the reason I mention that is because I'm going to give you a strategy, but there is a cost to this strategy, and if you're only doing a thousand a month, it would not probably make sense. Mm -hmm. But if you're able to put away three thousand a month then it might make sense quite well. I do have one client who's doing it at 2000 a month, and so I shouldn't say it, it can't be done. There are no limits on... Have you heard Linda and myself talk in the air before about the famous Nimcrut? No. Well, 
The NIMCRUT stands for Net Income Makeup Provision Charitable Remainder Unit Trust, and it's also a 664 trust under Section 664 of Internal Revenue Code. But what it basically allows you to do is to put money aside and make it look and smell just like a retirement plan, except none of the bad things are there. For example, there are no limits how much money you can put in. That's number one. Number two, there's no requirement that you cannot take it out before age 59 and a half. You can take it out without a 10% penalty. Number three, there's no requirement that you must take anything out after age 70 and a half. So it can stay there and it can accumulate. All of those are the good points. You with me so far? Right. Now, what's the catch? The catch is that you must, after you and your husband are both dead, you must let whatever is left in this go to some nonprofit organization. It can be a university. It can be charity. It can be uh, cancer research. It can be uh, scholastic aid. It can be anything you want. But it's got to be what's called a section. It's got to be a uh, 501c3 organization, which qualifies. It does grow in a tax-free environment. That's number one. When it starts coming out, it's taxable, just like an IRA. So it's deferred taxation, right. but it grows and it compounds tax-free. Number two, uh, you do use it for retirement if you want. But there is a disadvantage to the SEP and to all the other retirement plans, which a lot of people discover when they get there. And that's what happens at age 70 and a half. What happens then? You have to take it all out. You've got to start annuitizing it. Right. You've got to start figuring out, uh, let's say you don't need it. You want to just let it continue to grow. Let's say that you've come into an inheritance, so you're still working and so forth. You can't do it then. You can't just keep it there. So you're, you've got to start annuitizing it. Well, in the Section 664 trust, you don't. But what the, the, the disadvantage to it is when you compare them next to each other is if you want to pull out the whole principle in a SEP IRA, you can do that. In a Section 664 trust, you can't. My advice as the financial planner is always never take out your principal if you don't have to. I'd rather it be living, the li li go all the way through your lifetime. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. If you can accumulate enough to where you're never what we call killing your chickens, if you think of your principal, what's your principal, Linda? It's, it's all your chickens. That's all your chickens. And what's the interest called? Your eggs. That's your eggs. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. In other words, so if you've always got chickens available then you've got eggs that you can come off them to support you. But if you start killing your chickens, if you start withdrawing or, or, or spending your principal, then you're in danger. So in a SEP IRA, we try all the time to keep the principal intact and just take the minimum out and try and keep the principal. Sometimes we can't because of the rules of the IRA. But in a 664 trust, you can. So you want this thing to last for the, the life of both you and your husband. Now, that's the one way that you can go ahead and contribute to a retirement plan, you do get a deduction for doing it. It's not as big a deduction as the SEP IRA, but you do get a tax deduction on it. Interesting. And Never you can go and, and, and you and, and you can you can you can break all the other rules of the IRA because they don't apply to the six sixty four trust. You just have to be willing to say this money is from me and my husband for our retirement and after we're gone, that we don't care about what happens next. I was wondering how how long do you think before you you'll be retiring? Never. <laughs> That's great. Really? That, well, I mean, because you mean, know that, that works best for the six sixty four trust. Really? Yeah, because, because I have no plans to retire until I have to. See, if you can put aside thirty six thousand a year, see, we can we could in not too many years we could see ourselves build up to two hundred, three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, but my husband's ready to retire tomorrow. Yeah, I guess so that I, presents a problem. Well, I was just wondering if you know if you've ever worked with a financial planner because you you want to be able to see the big picture. Well, they got a problem. You have right certain here, goals in mind. Yeah, he right. couldn't, he but, couldn't quit tomorrow because well, they don't have. Enough, I mean, yeah, that's he, obvious. That's exactly what I've been telling him. Oh yeah, I mean, I well, can, we had a gentleman in the office the other day that he desired to retire at the end of this year, and you know, he came in and and basically what happened, Doug? I mean, he. Uh, I just what broke happened? his. I broke his his dream. I told him, "I'm sorry, you can't make it." <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, and and when we had one the week before that, we had to say uh, the only way you can do it is you've got to sell your home. Oh, that all is that all helps. Uh, yeah, that makes I mean, you see well, the there, picture. Yeah, and you know, I don't. Um, there there ought to be 
a solution somewhere, but uh, you probably need to work with a financial planner right. that can help you right. kind of uh, give you uh, some direction. Right. I do need to do that. Yeah. I do appreciate your help. And thank and you for calling. Very interesting prospect. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank Bye-bye. you, Bye. You're listening to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis, and if you've got a question... Call us on the open lines, and if you would like some information, you can call us at the office at 919-872-7000. That's USA 7000, and we'll be happy to send you some information. And you can also go to our website, DougAndLinda.com, DougAndLinda.com. Our Money Matter for today is Tax Savings Strategies. The frequent question I hear from clients is, what can I do to reduce my taxes now? Your options of tax reduction methods are tax strategies, and tax shelter investments. First, tax strategies. Strategy number one, accelerate deductions by making sure all deductible expenses, including charitable contributions, are made before December 31. Contributions placed on credit can be deducted this year, even though your credit card bill isn't paid until next year. Strategy two, consider cruts and crats, charitable remainder trusts, into which you can give appreciated assets like stock or real estate, save capital gains tax, allow a charitable deduction for the value of the gift, and give a lifetime income back to you from the trust. Strategy number three, estimate state income tax. State taxes paid before December 31 may be used as a federal tax deduction. Don't forget this one. Strategy four, capture mutual fund losses. If your mutual fund has lost money on paper, Switch to a money market fund and buy back 31 days later. The dollar value of your mutual fund will remain the same, but you'll have captured tax losses. Strategy 5. Contribute to a retirement account. If you qualify for an IRA deduction, contribute and take it. Strategy number 6. Deduct mortgage interest. So yes, there are tax strategies available to you. But what about tax shelter investments? Risks are involved, but rewards can be great. Always work with a reputable advisor. Well, if tax relief is your money matter, I hope my comments today have helped. Remember, seek competent financial advice, and if you have any financial questions, just give me a call at 872-7000. That's 872-7000. And remember, your financial future is at stake. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. Let's take a caller now. Okay, let's take Paul's call. Paul, Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you? I had a question on retirement. Planning to retire in a couple years. All right, how old are you? 54. You're 54, okay. And I plan to build a new home. The question is, uh, when I go into retirement, uh, should I pay cash for the home or should I finance it? And my, my thinking is to finance it and keep my expenditures low and keep my money invested, but I wondered what you would find. Well, very often we recommend that, but then lots of times we don't. Uh, let me see what your picture looks like. You're 54. What's your income right now? Uh, 85000 Income's 85. Uh, you say we, so I presume you're married. Yes. Is your wife working? Yes. All right, and what's her income? Uh, 25000 All right, so you got about a combined 100 and, uh, 110. Uh, yeah, 110 combined. Then... Uh, what does your present investment portfolio look like outside of the retirement? In other words, not the 401k, your present investment portfolio that's owned outside of retirement. Uh, it's, it's about uh, uh, 150000 in a variety of stocks. 150000 in stocks or stock funds? Stocks. All right, individual stocks. Yes. What else do you have? Uh, that's about it outside of retirement. All right, now over on the retirement side, what do you have? Uh, about 350000 And that's what's in your presently in your company stock? Uh, yes, it is. All right. Well, really, uh, there are a couple of things. First of all, to get yourself positioned in such a way that you can comfortably make that decision about uh, leverage or no leverage on the home is important. Uh, you need to go ahead. If altogether you've got like a combined half million dollars, you should be spread in approximately. Now, it depends on what choices that you're given. If you, if you were, you know, if, if all of this were available to do what you wanted to, I'd pick ten fifty thousand dollar funds and I'd spread it equally. But I don't you probably don't have that many choices available in your company in the in the four oh one K. Right. So uh, what you should do over there, and of course if you want to be moving out in a couple of years, you probably also want to be conservative with the portion that's over there. 
Maybe you want to be in, uh, in the balanced fund uh, and maybe in a growth and income fund, depending on the choices they give you. But I would spread myself, uh, but uh, definitely away from the individual stock and spread yourself according to And I'd probably work with a certified financial planner to help you make those decisions because you really have a short fuse. You don't have a long timeline in front of you. Right. A lot of things to think about. Yeah, then over on the individual side, again, I would look at repositioning the individual stocks into funds, and I would probably be looking at balanced funds or growth and income funds. And if there's only 150000 total, I would say maybe uh, four, three fifties, that's not enough, four, five, yeah, maybe five funds, 30000 apiece over on the personal side. Now, having said all that, you've got a half million dollars there. And then the question is the home. Now, how much is the home worth? Uh, 200000 That is the one you're going to build? Yeah, about that. Okay. So you're going to build a house worth $200,000. Uh, What's the value of the, of the current home, though? About the same. About the same. Well, that's a good idea. See, his question is, does he take the two hundred out and buy a new house and have it paid for and keep his expenses low with no mortgage payment, or does he go ahead and maybe put down 20000 cash and have 180000 to add to his investment portfolio? Well, you, you uh, want to run the numbers, don't you? Yeah, that's basically your question, right, Paul? Right, that's it. Yeah. Um, it would be an interesting exercise to work the numbers because I have seen your numbers look real close right now. Do you know what your living expenses are running outside of the... Uh, um, outside of the of the mortgage, probably thirty five thousand. Well, no, that that's including the mortgage. Mm-hmm. What you need to do, you need to meet with a certified financial planner and build in the future expected lifestyle needs. For example, travel may go up, mm-hmm. uh, different things, and get your future expense number there, and then come back over to the investment portfolio. One of the tricky things is if you're going to retire at age fifty six. Of course, you will do an IRA rollover with your, uh, from your 401k. Right. But uh, you'll be faced with the awkward choice of do you start taking money out to support your lifestyle and pay the 10% penalty as it comes out? And sometimes that's not a bad decision. Or do you take a series of equal payments over a five-year period and avoid the 10% penalty? Uh, you're you're going to be with, getting a pension, right? Right. When you separate from the company? Right. In addition to the 401k? Right. Oh. Will your wife continue to work? Uh, for a while, yes. For a while, yeah. Oh, well, then he won't have to. Yeah. I think I would leverage the house. I think I'd leverage the house, uh, but I would do it carefully. I'd do it carefully. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You, you really I mean, need to work those numbers. Yeah, because I've done that for, for, uh, for a number of my clients, and uh, when we do it, we work it very carefully. Your portfolio should have a balance of liquid and illiquid investments, but there should be definitely what goes for the mortgage should be in liquid investments so that you could any day walk away and write a check and pay off the mortgage. You okay. see what I mean? Uh-huh. Yeah, and probably what you want to do, Paul, is just write down some of the questions that you and your wife have at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and of course, work with a financial planner. And if, if you would like some information from us, further information, you can call us at the office. And that number in Raleigh is 872-7000. That's USA 7000. Okay, well, thank you very much. And thank you for calling. Appreciate we enjoyed your call. And you can also go to our website, DougAndLinda.com. Well, Linda, I think people are more and more concerned about waiting till they can afford to invest or investing now. Right, right. I would agree. And most of us never seem to have as much money as we'd like. Sometimes people feel that it's difficult to just cover the necessities that they have. And uh, they may not have much left over for investing. And I guess when you consider in 10 years, we expect that our salaries will be higher later. Then we'll be able to set aside more money as it comes to make up for the years than we didn't invest. So, Doug, can you really... Make up for the lost time? Is it possible? Well, you know, it's a funny thing, Lynn, because a lot of people ask that question and think they will, but we can take a look at a couple of sample cases. Let's take a Tish. We'll take a girl named Tisha. Let's have her invest $75 every month. And then we'll take a guy named James, and we'll let James wait until he can, as you say, afford to invest 10 years from now. So Tish is going to invest, let's say, $75 a month starting now. James figures if he waits 10 years till his salary is up and he can afford better, he'll even be able to invest 200 a month. 
Both of them want to go out 20 years, okay? Let Tish go the whole 20 years at $75 a month. 12 months, 20 years, how much is she going to have invested the whole time? She'll have invested about $18,000. Right. All right. Now let James wait 10 years and then only invest the last 10 and let him put in 200 a month. So how much will he have invested? He'll have invested $24,000. That's right. So All right. where so Tish, Tish will have invested 18000 Right. James will have invested... 24000 Right. Okay. Now let's assume they both make 8.5% on their money. What's going to happen looking down the road 20 years from now will answer your question. She invested 18000 right? Right. He invested 24000 Tish will have accumulated $47,000 20 years from now. That's only investing $75 a month. A month. Unbelievable. Because James is going to make how much? He's going to invest 200 a month, but he will only accumulate 37000 Right. His idea of waiting 10 years... Cost him $10,000. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Even though he invested two and a half times as much. So the bottom line here is... Don't wait, right? Right, right. Now, we could look at another way if you want and take another case. We could go ahead and take one person. We'll call this guy Ted. Right. Let's have him go ahead and invest same 8.5%. Let's assume he just landed a great job and he's only 25 years old. So he's going to put in $2,000 a year. That's 167 a month. So he's trying to figure out whether he should invest now at 25 or, or wait, wait seven years from now when he's 32. All right. Now, let's go out further until age 65. If he goes ahead and puts in 167 a month, and he stops 10 years from now, at the time he reaches retirement, he will have accumulated $400,000. But if he waits 10 years and then starts and invests all the way through until he's 65 years old, he will have invested for 33 years, but he'll only accumulate 364000 So he should start right now when he's 25. Well, I mean, look at the difference. And continue until it, he's going to retire. Think about it. And he'll have gained an extra over $40,000. Not only that, think of how much he invested. If he put in for 10 years, 2000 a piece, how much did he invest? 20000 Right. And how much did he accumulate? 400000 By putting in 20000 if he waits 10 years and starts and puts in 2000 a year all the way for the next 33 years till he's 65 years old, how much will he have invested? 66000 And but only accumulate 364000 So he really hurts himself by waiting, and that's the bottom line. So the bottom line is don't wait. Right. Invest Start now. investing now. It's not timing. It's time that's the magic. Exactly. And if you're younger, time is on your side. You have... Uh, more time to accumulate and more time to pay yourself first. Work with a financial planner. And if you have any questions locally, you can call us at the office at 919-872-7000. That's USA 7000. And you can also go to our website, DougAndLinda.com. Well, let's take another call. Well, let's take Larry's call, Linda. Uh, Larry, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Here. Planner. How can I help you? Calling to find out. Uh, what your uh, thoughts are about uh, getting into stock mutual funds uh, now. Well, the real th- situation will differ according to whoever the client is. Larry, tell me a little bit about yourself, and I'll tell you uh, what I think you should do. How old are you? 53. You're 53 years old. Are you married or single? Married. Married. Uh, are you employed? Uh, yes. All right. Your wife employed? Yes. Two incomes. What's your income? It's uh, $50,000 a year. All right. And your wife's? About half that. Uh, all right. So family income, about $75,000, two, uh, two earner income. Any children still at home? No. Okay. Um, what does your present portfolio look like, not counting retirement assets just yet? Uh, mutual funds, uh, but mainly in index funds, large company and small company. Uh, all right. So how much do you have right now in your stock funds altogether? Uh, probably about a hundred thousand dollars. All right, so you've got a hundred thousand dollars, and those are mainly in index funds. Uh-huh. All right. Uh, anything in bond funds? Uh, no, just uh, probably about a ten thousand dollars in a treasury index fund. Ten thousand in a treasury <clears throat> index fund. Uh, how about cash accounts, emergency money market CDs, things like that? 
It's mainly the the money that I took out of the stock market, and that's probably about uh, another fifty thousand dollars. All right. So you, that's the total that you've got to make your portfolio the hundred and sixty thousand altogether. That's correct. Now, what about over on the retirement side? What do you have in retirement funds? Um, I have a four hundred one k that probably is about uh, uh, fifty thousand dollars, and again, that's in uh, uh, stock index funds. All right, and I. Anything else other than the 401k? No, that's it. How about your wife? Any retirement on her end? None there. All right. Our last question is, uh, living expenses, do you have any idea what your expenses are running? Probably run about uh, twenty-five to $30,000 a year, something like that. All right. Pretty much able to live just about on your wife's salary. <clears throat> uh, and that means that you're, you're accumulating a fair amount of excess each month. Yes, that's true. All right. How long do you want to be working? In other words, what's the target date for your retirement or your financial independence? Uh, probably plan on working for an, for another uh, uh, four or five years, I would say. Well, it doesn't look real quickly. It doesn't look like you'll be able to make it with just these numbers alone. Okay. Um, in other words, if I go ahead and if I take... Your 401k, and, uh, well, right now, if you were to walk away today with your 50 and the 160, mm-hmm. that's going to be 210000 And assuming we uh, reposition it for income, you'd get maybe a 7% current yield. That'd give you about 14000 a year income, uh-huh. which, of course, would not support you right now. Right. Uh, on the other hand, if we've got five years and we had 210 see possible that you could build that up to about 340 and then the real key would be the excess of your what we call your net margin the excess that you're not spending that monthly uh excess that you're accumulating because your expenses are basically being covered almost totally by your wife's salary uh-huh. uh if we did a true financial plan that would be the one thing that i would be focusing on uh, the the hundred th- in other words, I'd look at your present asset base. Now, your present asset base, starting with the mutual funds, the hundred thousand dollars, is it in one index fund or several? Uh, in several. All right. What you'd want to do is you would want to, and I really don't like index funds. Okay. Uh, I think index funds are um, uh, a guaranteed mediocrity. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And if you're going into um, mutual funds, you really should be going in. Uh, putting your money in the hands of a manager. Uh-huh. In other words, the stock market will go up or down, but if a good manager is worth his salt or her salt, then he or she will make money no matter which way the market goes because he's always betting that he can do better than the market. Uh-huh. Whereas an index fund is the exact opposite. <clears throat> an index fund just goes up with the market, down with the market. Right. So uh, I would get out of the index funds, but I think the way that I would approach it is I would go ahead and take the entire portfolio right now over on the personal side, the 160000 and uh, I think I'd keep 10000 in cash as you're an emergency fund. Mm-hmm. Keep that in a money market account. And that would go ahead and leave you 150000 And then I think I'd go ahead and maybe one fifty. yeah, I think maybe 720s. I'd break it into $720,000 mutual funds. Uh-huh. Uh, I'd work with a certified financial planner to go ahead and select the funds, but I think I would be either in growth funds, growth and income funds, maybe a balanced fund, uh, maybe an equity income fund, although uh, a little time evaluating your risk tolerance to see if, 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 if you could even shy away from an equity income fund, uh-huh. uh, an international fund, maybe a world fund. Uh-huh. And, but the most important thing would be to set up an automatic pay-yourself-first plan to capture that net margin, that extra twenty-five or 30000 a year uh-huh. that you should be able to capture over the next five years, which should be able to, uh, with a little analysis, I think a good financial planner should be able to get you to the point where you can make it in five years. Uh, but I would do it with the help of a certified financial planner, developing it as an overall pattern. I wouldn't just go ahead and try and pick any fund or any index fund or any manager I do it as part of an overall program. Okay. And if you you know if you'd like any other information, you can call us at the office in Raleigh 
And that number, Larry, is 8727000. That's USA 7000. Okay? Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you for calling. Thanks for calling, Larry. Okay, bye. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. Why do I need a financial planner? Maybe you've asked, if I already have a stockbroker, insurance agent, accountant, and attorney, why do I still need a certified financial planner? Basically, there are five important reasons why you need one, or five important things a certified financial planner can do for you. Number one, asset allocation and portfolio management. A certified financial planner has the specific training to pull investment assets together into an organized plan to achieve a client's future financial objectives. Two, risk management or insurance coverages. When does one really need to purchase disability, life, property, and casualty insurance? These are all separate issues, and a certified financial planner can identify an individual's or a business's immediate and future needs for risk management. Number three, tax planning. A certified financial planner can prepare tax strategies for the oversheltered, the undersheltered, or the pre-retiree when a tax situation becomes complex. Number four, retirement and estate planning. A certified financial planner can perform spreadsheet applications for future retirement planning or have the tax knowledge needed when performing estate tax planning for family heirs. Number five, planning for professionals or small business owners. Should my business be formed as a corporation or as a partnership? How much personal liability is involved in operating my business? Again, a certified financial planner can steer you through business continuity issues or give advice when integrating the finances of the company and the business owner. Other good reasons you might need a certified financial planner? To plan for college costs, gifting strategies for tax relief, planning for nursing home costs for you or your parents. Recent history has established a track record of an unpredictable Wall Street, complex tax laws, and an onslaught of different financial vehicles. A certified financial planner is skilled in identifying an individual's goals and helping develop, implement, and monitor a plan to achieve them. You need a certified financial planner because a financial future is at stake, and it's yours. If you've been wondering about why you need a certified financial planner, I hope my comments have helped. Seek competent financial advice, and if you have any financial questions, call me at 872-7000. That's 872-7000. And remember... Your financial future is at stake. Well, Doug, Mark's wife received a 27000 lump sum distribution from her company's pension plan. And he was wondering how can they reduce the tax on that payment of $27,000. $27,000 lump sum distribution from his wife's company's pension plan. Right. Okay. If 60 days haven't passed... She can roll it over into an IRA right now and pay no taxes. In other words, if she has received that 27000 in the last 60 days, then I would recommend she do nothing but roll the whole thing over into an IRA rollover, and that way she pays zero taxes. Okay. Doug, here's another question that has to do with lottery winnings. Mac was wondering, how do you handle lottery winnings on your income tax return? Lottery winnings, you report them as income. You can, however, reduce the winnings that you've got to report as income by the amounts you've lost. You'll have to produce your losing tickets if the IRS challenges you on your gambling losses, so it's wise to save those stubs for a few years. But you can go ahead and offset your losings against your winnings. Okay. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. Here's a question that we had, Doug, on uh, CDs. Mm Mm-hmm. Timothy has two CDs, and he wants an investment that pays more interest but is just as safe and was wondering, are there any suggestions? Yeah, a couple of suggestions. Usually, the more interest you earn, the more risk you're taking. A couple of safe bets, I guess. If your CDs have short maturities, you can buy longer-term ones when your current ones mature. He might also consider investing in a Treasury note. The interest in principle is backed by the U.S. government, The interest is exempt from state, but not federal taxes. Well, here's a question, Doug, about T-bills. If you have $10,000 in treasury bills at your bank, would your deposits be insured to $90,000 instead of $100,000? No, no. Treasury bills are backed by the U.S. government, no matter what amount you have. That's different. 
CDs are insured separately up to $100,000. But Treasury bills, those are debts, you know, by the federal government itself. You can have a million dollars in Treasury bills, and Uncle Sam is personally guaranteeing the million dollars. And if not, they'll just print the paper back to give you a million dollars back. That's different. Oh, okay, great. That doesn't require any insurance because they print the paper. All righty. Well, Gary wanted to know, how do you track lost U.S. savings bonds? Lost U.S. savings bonds? You write to the Treasury Department. You write to the Treasury Department. You include as much information as you can. The serial numbers are the most helpful. If you don't have them, the name and address on the bonds and the denomination of the bonds, and the dates of the bonds were purchased will help. And the Treasury will open up an investigation and send you a form to fill out and return. When the Treasury finds records of your bonds, it'll send you new ones. How about okay, that? Okay, great. If you have questions, call me at my office at 872-7000. That's 872-7000. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. Doug, um, I want to ask you a question here. Sometimes the elderly or seniors are encouraged to get into or to invest in tax-free investments. And what is the the argument regarding that with regard to seniors? Well, Lynn, that's a really suspect area. Because it sounds, you know, well, I'll go into a tax-free investment, so I won't have to pay the taxes. Yeah, I really, I have a real problem with some of the sales tactics that are used in selling tax-free bonds and municipal bonds to senior citizens. The argument usually goes by selling the sizzle, not the steak, if you will. It sounds so great. Tax-free. And number, right. right. And number two, guaranteed. But, you know, if you think it through, Lynn, it's not how much you make. It's how much you keep. If a person is in a very low tax bracket, as many senior citizens are, then they're not in need of getting a tax-free income. And here's why, Lynn. If a corporate bond mutual fund is paying seven and three quarters percent, and if a tax-free bond fund is paying five percent, now think this thing through. If you have a hundred thousand dollars giving you seven, call it eight percent to make it sweet, make it nice and easy, then you're getting eight thousand dollars income, but right. you have to but you have to pay tax on it. If you're in a tax-free fund and you're getting 5% on $100,000, you're getting $5,000, right? Right. But you pay no tax on that. Right. Now, if you're in a low tax bracket on the $8,000, if you only turn around and pay $1,500, you made $8,000, you paid $1,500 in taxes, how much did you keep? You kept $6,500. And in the tax-free fund, you paid no tax and you kept $5,000. So where'd you keep the most? With the taxable or the tax-free? The taxable. Of course. That is only true if you're in a low tax bracket. Now, if you're in a high tax bracket and you were paying 3500 in taxes, then you would have only kept 4500 with the taxable or 5000 with the tax-free. And, and usually your senior citizens, especially those who are now living on Social Security income, they're in such low tax brackets that they really are not going to have much of a taxable effect. So the first thing I have against selling tax-free investments to senior citizens is you need to add them up both ways. Figure your taxes both ways and see which way you're going to come out. If you're in a low tax bracket, more than likely you'll come out better with a taxable yield than a tax-free yield. Well, you can do all those calculations, right? Those hypotheticals oh, beforehand. Oh, anybody can do Any decent financial or planner can do Or if you're doing do planning, sure. of course. Number two, they're sold on safety. Safety, they're guaranteed. Safety, guaranteed tax freeze. They're not guaranteed. What happens is, Lynn, they're only guaranteed if you hold that bond until maturity. If you hold it for 25 years and then you'll get back your $10,000 or your $100,000. But along the way, you can sell it for less than you paid for it. So it's not guaranteed along the way. Credit risk is guaranteed, but not interest rate risk. Okay. Okay. I think I understand it a little bit better. All right. (laughs) Work with a financial planner. And if you have any questions locally, you can call us at the office at 919-872-7000. That's USA 7000. 
And you can also go to our website, DougAndLinda.com. Let's take the next caller, Doug. All right, Virginia, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you? I want to learn about the irrevocable trust under the uh, living with. How old are you, Virginia? I'm 70. You're 70. Are you single, married, or widow? Married. You're married. All right. And how old is your husband? He's 69. All right. Your husband's 69. Yeah. And you are trying to draw up a living trust. Right. A living trust. When we are gone, we don't want people to know what their state is. We don't want to pay any inheritance tax. All right. So let's get your goals. First of all, you say that you're looking for something which people will not know what you had after you die. Right. That's confidentiality. That's all right. The next thing you said is about taxes. Yes. All right. Tell me what, what your goal is with regard to taxes. I don't know. I'm not familiar. But you'd like to avoid estate taxes? Yeah. I see what you're saying. Avoid estate taxes. Uh-huh. All right. What is the size of the combined estate of you and your husband approximately? Oh, uh, I, I would say... At this point, 300000 All right, about $300,000. That includes your home. Yeah. All right, and how about life insurance? Uh, life insurance, cars, and the whole kit and caboose. All right, everything all together is $300,000. About that. Okay. Maybe a little less. All right, well, the first thing is I need to tell you the good and the bad news. All right. Okay, the bad news is the revocable living trust will not help you save estate taxes at all. No. The good news is you don't have any problem. You won't have to pay any estate taxes. If you did, I would give you the bad news and tell you that the revocable living trust won't help. Now, let's go back to what is this revocable living trust. First of all, you called it an irrevocable living Uh trust. There are two types. Do you know the difference? No, I do not. That's what I'm trying to find out. All right. First of all... A revocable living trust is a trust that you can change your mind on while you're alive. Yeah. An irrevocable living trust is one you can't change your mind on. Oh. Okay? Revocable, I can... Right. Uh, Right. That's what I'm looking at. All right. You want a revocable living trust probably. You don't need an irrevocable trust. You can use a revocable trust. Revocable. Now let's see, what is this revocable trust? This revocable trust is a trust in which we set up the trust account and we make you the trustee of that trust account. The trustee is the manager. And then we change the ownership of everything you own now from your name as an individual to your name as the trustee of this trust. Right. So basically, you're doing nothing. It sounds silly because all you're really doing, it's sort of like moving money from your right pocket to your left pocket. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Yes, sir. However, the crucial thing is, at the time that you die, what's owned in your personal name then follows what they call the probate process. That's, That's in your will, and that's open to the public for public knowledge. But what's not in your own name, what's in the name of a trust, is not available to the public for public knowledge. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you. I just had my property changed into uh, both our names. It was left to me. Uh, You you had your property changed into whose name? My mother left left it to me. And I didn't even realize it wasn't changed to both our names after we got married. Now it's jointly owned, right? Right. So, would we have anything to do about that? I just changed that in the last month or so. Well, I would, if I were you, if you if you set up a, a, a revocable living trust. By the way, tell me a little more about the rest of your assets, first of all. How much is the property worth? Well, I would say the property would be worth 100 and All right, the property's worth about 100000 uh, All right, what else do you have? Let's, And then I can tell you a little better if I think it's suitable. Well, I think that... I'd, don't really know of any uh, big things that would, you know, be a massive amount of money. Well, but do you have any investments? No, no, I don't, because I retired. I... All right, so you have, how about savings accounts? Any CDs or? No, no we, we uh, don't have any savings account. We just uh, have 100000 cash. All right, you have 100000 in cash. In the bank. In the bank, and you have the real estate worth about 100000 That's right. And then, where's the other 100000 Is that your home? Yes. 
Okay. And your home is the other 100000 All right. All right. First of all, if I were you, I would, I would, make, I would probably have the 100000 in cash. You could probably have it invested producing more income for you and still be safe. But aside from that, that's an investment question. I would go ahead and have your revocable living trust set up. Do you make it just a regular wheel? Well, what you do is you... And then hang the uh, revocable trust Actually, you set up the trust today, and you move your savings account into the name of the trust today. You move your home into the name of the trust today. You move the other real estate into the trust today. And then you make a little will that says anything I forgot to put in my trust. That's called a pour over will. Anything that I forgot to put in my trust at the time I die pours over into this trust. Oh, uh, yeah. So now at the time that you die, there really is nothing in your, that your will has to do. And so there's nothing that anybody knows. The only thing people know is what was not in that trust. Right, I tell you, uh, Doug, my bond, and this is about, about a whole, you know, uh, a lot of thinking here. Yeah, well, I do have a will, and I do have all one of them. But I'm going to make change, I, you know, right. that I had not changed the property. Right. And so this is why I wanted that part explained to me, because if we don't have children. You want to set up a revocable living trust, uh, actually two, one for yourself and one for your husband. You each want one. Yes. You want two trust, and you want these revocable living trust to be done by an attorney, not by yourself or through a kit. No, I have an attorney. And if you will go ahead and call my office during the week, Linda will go ahead and, help, and if you like, set up an appointment, and I will show you how to go ahead and do these, and I'll instruct your attorney about how they should be done best for you. But call us at the office, and we can go over that with you in detail, and then we can send you our introductory packet. Thanks for calling. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. Well, Lynn, what's new in the area of retirement planning? You know, Doug, people want to know, how do you keep your head when other investors are losing theirs, right? Yeah, a lot of people want to, Linda, you know, because many investors react to market conditions like lemmings, stampeding up the mountain when markets are rising and down into the cold sea when markets are falling. But this herd mentality can be dangerous to your pocketbook. There's a study that found that during a recent five-year period, 200 no-load growth funds earned an average annual return of 12%, right? Right. And still, the average investor in those same funds earned only 2.5%. But why? why? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because investors often get into the market too late and get out too early. You see, studies by economists and psychologists have found that investors are most influenced by recent events like market news, political events, earnings, and so on, and they seem to ignore the long-term investment and economic fundamentals. Furthermore, if a movement starts in one direction, it tends to pick up more and more investors with time, right? So this impact of the lemming-like behavior has been made worse in recent years because financial, economic, and other news affecting investor psychology travels faster than ever before, right? That's right. And capital can flow also between nations with surprising ease so that markets respond more quickly to sudden changes in the direction of investor buying and selling. So how do you avoid joining the lemmings? Well, how do you stay calm during market drops and restrained during market updrafts? Certified financial planners like myself, Linda, have several different ideas. Uh, First idea is have a plan. Know why you're investing and what you want to accomplish. Pick a strategy and investments that best help you reach your goals while minimizing risk, and you'll be less likely to fall prey to the temptations of greed or fear. Also know your investment personality. Pick investment strategies and risks that you feel comfortable with. Investors are more apt to lose their head when they make investments that they're not comfortable with, right? That's exactly right. Third, I guess, Lynn, would be to stick to your investment approach. If you follow a certain type of investing strategy, stick with it, unless there's sound reasons to change. Different strategies often can end up with similar results over the course of a market cycle. It's the switching back and forth between strategies that can cause problems, 
because jittery investors often abandon a strategy that's temporarily out of favor just before it makes a strong recovery. And you also need to sort out the good from the bad. Learn to recognize the difference between a poor investment, similar investments are doing better, and a solid investment that is having an off period. Similar investments are off too. Right, Doug? Yeah, you know, Lynn, the growth fund investors in that study earlier, they only stayed an average of 21 months before bailing out of the market. Even though the average returns that, that, that those funds came up with, those 12% returns, it took them 60 months to go ahead and produce that average. But the average investor only stayed in the funds for 21 months, so he never got it. Another thing to remember is diversify. By spreading your investment funds among different types of assets, you're more likely to reduce volatility while maintaining or even improving your overall return, right? Right. I guess another point, Lynn, is to remember to invest regularly according to your long-term plan. Don't worry whether the market or a particular asset is up or down at the time of each investment. And consider load funds. Although a controversial suggestion, some experts feel that people who invest in load funds sold by brokers for sales fees are less likely to sell hastily. Brokers have a chance to calm their clients, and the impact of any upfront sales fee is reduced the longer the fund is held. Correct? Yeah, that's right, Lynn. Last thing I would say is don't read the stock pages. It's the daily following of the inevitable ups and downs of the market that send the average investors reaching for the mailbox and the telephone. Instead, just check your quarterly or maybe even six-month statements and stick with your original approach. Write down some of the questions that you have, and certainly if there's anything we can do to assist you with this, we'd be happy to do so. And that number here in Raleigh is 8727000, USA 7000. Thank you for joining us for another edition of Money Matters with the Lewises, Doug, Linda, and Deborah. You can listen to our podcast online at WPTF.com. Join us next Saturday and Sunday at 6 p.m. on WPTF. Call us to set your appointment this week, 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. Listening to Money Matters with the Lewis family, Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Money Matters provides you with a personal financial hotline on any subject where money really matters. For more information, call Doug, Linda, or Deborah in Raleigh at 919 872 7000. That's 919 USA 7000. Or go to DougAndLinda.com and listen again next Sunday at 6 p.m. for more Money Matters with the Lewis family on 